we had some moms come up to us that were literally in tears. And I'm mm. just like, what's going on? And, you know, I'm thinking maybe their kid got hurt and she's just coming up to me in tears and she's just saying thank you because I haven't been able to do anything with my kids the whole entire year. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. And this is my journey all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. This week, we talk with Scott Middleton of Middleton Six Sons Farms. And yes, there are six of them uh, connected with the farm. We find out more about that in the conversation. They do all kinds of stuff. Their number one is asparagus, but it's so much more than that, including tourism on their farm, welcoming people to their farm to see what it's all about. And thousands of people do come to their farm every fall for their fall festival. We'll find out all about it this week on the Real Food, Real People podcast at Middleton Six Sons Farms in Pasco, Washington. I want to thank our sponsors, First, the Dairy Farmers of Washington supporting the podcast and inspiring the desire for real local dairy products. You can find them online at wadairy.org. And we so much appreciate the generous support that they've given to make this podcast a reality. Also, Mana Insurance Group. Big thank you to them. You can find them online, manainsurancegroup.com. We appreciate not only them supporting and making the podcast a reality, but also protecting the financial well-being and future of our families, our communities, the things that they do not only for individuals, but farms and small businesses here in Washington, as well as in California and Arizona. So big thank you to them. Make sure to thank them for supporting the Real Food, Real People podcast. Now we go to Pasco to talk again with Scott Middleton of Middleton Six Sons Farms. You guys on your farm do pretty interesting mix yeah. of different things. We are diversified. <laughs> so let me see if I got this right. Asparagus, yep. hay, mm-hmm. and then like agritourism and some like small farming stuff. Yep. Fall festival. Fall festival. We can see on the wall back yep. there. So talk about everything that you guys do. It's... Okay, Middleton Six Sons Farms. Do yep. I have that right? That's correct. Okay, get, what do you all do? How do you describe it? So primarily we're asparagus growers. Okay. And then we do the alfalfa. And uh, now we started up with a fall festival. We've been doing that for a number of years. And uh, we kind of go off my dad's motto, diversify and make sure that you don't put all your eggs in one basket type of deal. And so that's kind of how we are running our operation now is that we have a bef- bunch of different little things that we do and uh they're they're not so little anymore each one yeah. has their a lot of work to do in it and uh we have fun doing it so there are seriously six brothers there is six of us and so um we're not all on the farm but there's uh there's three of us on the farm right now that mm-hmm. help out here and then uh but all of us have all worked on this farm all of us were born and raised here in pasco and we all worked in uh our whole entire childhood was uh here on the farm so it was a lot of fun your dad's still working on the farm too he is still working does he does he feel um not included since his name isn't in the six sons (laughs) it was his idea so (laughs) he's kind of took some pride and joy in the the six sons yeah and so yeah he's definitely on the day-to-day operations and helps out a ton with everything so we get all of our uh Learning everything we learned is from him, and and uh, we get to teach him a couple little things too on the way. What's <laughs> we'll get to that part. <laughs> yeah. I like that. 
the young the young guys teaching the old dogs new tricks sometimes yep. it does happen it contrary does happen. to popular belief <laughs> yeah but uh how far back does his farming history go how far back does it go in your family um we're third generation farmers here or i'm a third generation farmer here in the mm-hmm. columbia basin um my uh, grandpa actually came over here and um so it'd be my dad's dad came mm-hmm. over here to the Columbia Basin, and uh, it was desert out here. It was just sagebrush. Mm-hmm. There wasn't very much of anything going on out here. And, uh, you know, today it's grown into this huge city, and so it's it's amazing to see. But, yeah, my dad, they were over there in uh, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and mm. uh, they had the opportunity. I think my dad was four years old at the time, mm. and they decided to come out here to the Columbia Basin in Block 16, and they started farming. And... Uh, there wasn't very much of anything out here, but they decided to, you know, try to make a living, and, you know, that's how they got started. What had they been doing in Nebraska? You know, I'm not quite sure. Um, a long time whatever, ago. That was yeah, back when people would have a few Whatever they doing, it wasn't working that, that, that well. And yeah. So they came over here, and they actually, my grandpa also grew asparagus, too. And so okay. um, kind of a niche crop to get into it, and people were willing to work, and, uh and cut the asparagus as well, so it was good. So he saw desert, but he saw potential there? Yeah. Yeah, the Columbia uh, Irrigation Project, you know, they started getting the water from the river and started using it, and, uh, you know, the people started finding out that there was water in the ground too, and so mm-hmm. getting some wells dug, and so um, they used the irrigation project out there, and they still use, my grandpa's farm still out there, my uncle farms it, and uh, they still use their siphon tubes and wow. do all that irrigation. And they got pivots now as well. So I guess part of the discovery, too, would be finding out, hey, this soil is really fertile. Yeah. Once you put some water on it. You almost can grow almost anything besides citrus out here. You can mm-hmm. pretty much grow anything you want. And so, um, yeah, the sandy soil out here, actually, you can grow some of the best crops in the world. But without water, you wouldn't necessarily know it. Probably just a bunch <laughs> yeah. of sagebrush, yeah. like you said. You wouldn't know it until you got this water. As soon as they started getting the water in the ground, then they realized we got something going here. So what year roughly would that have been? Let's see. My dad started here on our farm at ni- in 1974. And then, uh, so let's see, he was, let's see, it'd be 19, I want to say it was 1954 uh, when we okay. came over yeah. here. Amazing. And, just like, what, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. How much has happened? So you guys do asparagus. You said that's kind yep. of your bread and butter. Yep. How does that work? Uh, what What's your process for growing asparagus? So um, first we plant it. You know, it's either direct seed or you plant the crowns in the ground. And then you have to wait two to three years in order to get the crop off of it. And so oh, there's, really? There's that waiting period um, where you don't, you what? can't cut it, you know, the whole entire season yet. Why is that? Because you need a main plant to send up shoots or get... Build yeah, crowns in the... Yeah, you're just making sure that the root structure is getting strong and, and uh, can provide because that asparagus will last for 10 years in the ground. So you do, mm. you keep on cutting it every year and uh, so that it, you get, let it uh, establish into the ground. And Because what we eat for asparagus is really just like the baby shoots of a much bigger plant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, essentially. But in all that time, do you, do you let them get big? Yeah, or after the season's over, so the se- season's in spring, and we do it for seventy days. And uh, once you once you're done, you can you can kind of tell when the asparagus plant is starting to get stressed out. And uh, once it gets too hot, you kind of just let it go into a fern. And we just keep watering it all the way until um, you know November. Or I mean, yeah, it'd be about end of October. We'll yeah. we water it. And so 
It's a definitely a fun crop. It's all people don't realize, but it's still all hand picked, all done by hand. It's picked up. The boxes are yeah. picked up out of the field by hand, and uh, this warehouse is just one of the shipping receiving points, and then we ship it off to our packer. And so, wow, it's a lot of manual labor. Where does all of your asparagus go to then? Who are you? Like, does it go all over the country or all over the country? Um, it also gets pickled as well. Um, Johnson uh, Produce does that, and so mm. they pickle it. And uh, they they pickle it for Costco primarily. Mm. Um, if you're familiar with the Schwans, it goes gets the flash frozen and gets frozen yeah. to that product. And then the fresh product, it's it's gone all, all over the place. It's gone into Safeways, Albertsons. Um, our packers send it all the way to New Jersey. Even sometimes it's gone across. You know, especially during that pandemic year, there wasn't much produce coming from outside of the country. And yeah. so everybody was kind of just say, trying to grab at whatever was available at the time. And luckily enough for us, asparagus is the first crop to come out in the spring usually. Yeah. And so yeah. um, people were just dying for asparagus last year. So it was great. So if people are getting fresh asparagus, thinking of the blue rubber bands, or maybe mm-hmm. yours aren't blue. I know they're different colors too, yeah. but I usually think blue. Does it say like Middleton on it or something? It'll say Washington. It'll say Washington. Yeah, Washington State. And so, and there's there's not many asparagus growers left anymore in Washington State. There's there's a few of us that are here and so uh, that are still doing it. And yeah. uh, as long as we have the workers to to cut it, we're, in, we're just going to keep on going. And so, Yeah, what, what's the reason why there aren't a lot of asparagus farms here anymore? Um, the competition. So mm-hmm. our competition from outside of the country, primarily Mexico and, and Peru, they mm-hmm. can compete because they're, they're only paying their... Uh, labor ten dollars a day a day a day and uh mm. our you know obviously we're the highest minimum wage in washington state and we're one of the highest minimum wage in the country and so yep. we're paying they're getting at least you know 13 14 an hour to yep. you know to work here and so they're people yeah competing wise they can your they cost can, of doing business yeah. is a lot different a lot different than producing in mexico mm-hmm so labor is kind of the big thing with that because it's a hand harvested yep. crop. If it's our biggest expense by far. And so Mexico can drive the price down and they can send it across the country. Even even some of the packers in California, they were packing it coming in from, you know, the asparagus was coming from Mexico, but they were packing it in the U.S. And mm-hmm. sometimes they, personally, I think they sometimes trick the consumer because they'll say packed in the U.S., packed, yeah. but it's grown in Mexico, mm. they kind of forget the label right below it. it says <laughs> "grown to Mexico," and so I bet they don't forget it. Yeah, uh, but well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's where it's. I mean, you want to be savvy when you're shopping at the store, when you're buying food for your family. You want to know where it came from, right? And me personally, I'm going to try to get as much food as I can grown in the U.S. for sure. Mm-hmm. If it's grown in Washington, I'm all over it. And yep. it, you know, the closer to home, the better. Yep. But that's a good point because sometimes you can think, oh, I'm getting U.S. grown stuff. But if it says packed in yeah. and not grown in the U.S., yeah. you don't know. And so, Yeah, some, some consumers don't even realize. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the frustrating thing is because Mexico can cut in, in certain areas. They can cut almost 365 days out of the year. Wow. And so we say, we say, we say it's almost the whole entire time, but... Um, we say it's a little bit more because they can cut whenever they want, pretty much. Yeah. And we only have a certain window here in Washington State. And there's only there's only one other state that's really Michigan is the other state that's growing asparagus. 
California used to. I would say, I don't. I think there's only a couple hundred acres left in California right now because Mexico has just totally dominated their market now. Mm. And so, um, I wish there was something that we could do to limit when they can come into our into our markets. But we we just haven't done anything about it yet. It gets into trade deals and yep, all that exciting political stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> that's way over my head yeah. how that all gets dealt with so asparagus the big thing being labor is it possible to mechanize that harvest there there's machines out there but the, it's it's so difficult because the asparagus shoots are are you know they're only half an inch quarter of an inch even sometimes they're even touching together and so one will be you know prime eight, nine inches, the other one will just still be mm. at four inches. So you nick that other one, you damage that other spear. And so to get it perfect, it's never going to happen, mm. um, at least in, in my eyes. But there are there are machines that can, you know, get most of it, maybe 70% of it. But still, there's still going to have to be somebody behind cleaning behind it, yeah. always. And then, so asparagus is your springtime. Mm-hmm. And then, let me guess, hay is your summertime. Yep. And is is it all alfalfa that you do? Um, yeah, all alfalfa. We grow uh, about 300 acres of wheat. And so mm-hmm. that, that also plays into the factor of, because uh, we'll two-tie and big bale the, the straw up after the wheat harvest. And so um, we're actually doing first cutting hay while we're doing asparagus, the tail end oh. of asparagus. And so... That's got to be crazy busy. It is a wild thing going on. So we're definitely <laughs> just... And then now we're strawberry growers too. And so we threw in a little five-acre strawberries to do the tail end of asparagus because we run a little retail store outside of here. We mm-hmm. we wholesale some of our asparagus and mm. add all of our roadside stand. Yeah. And so there's a lot of moving pieces going on in the, the first week of June because we're doing hay, asparagus, now we're doing the strawberries, and uh, we do... A little bit of everything during the month of June. That's kind of our, our we call it busy week or hell week or whatever <laughs> yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. So it's just it's just super busy, but it all gets done every year. It's just a little bit. Somehow um, you, you yeah. get through it. I don't think we sleep much during that time, but it gets all done. <laughs> and then in fall time, you guys are agritourism. Agritourism, fall, fall, fall festival. So explain what that is. So the Middleton's Fall Festival, we started up in 2013, and 2013-2014 is when we started doing the corn maze and the pumpkin patch, and uh, we just, it was my brother Keith's idea, Um, we just wanted to get people out here and kind of just learn about, you know, farming practices. There's people, you know, we're only five, ten miles outside of town, and people have no idea where their produce comes from. Some of the things that are grown out here and people are like, Oh, you have never been out here before. And we're just, we're just like, we're just we're right here. We're right here. Yeah. We've always been right here uh, <laughs> since 1974. We've been right here. <laughs> and so it, it started to give, you know, the idea was to give people an education of where, where their crops are grown, how it's grown. And then we started doing the pumpkins and the corn maze and people just, it just became into a, it grew into a huge community event, and so it's awesome to have people come out to the farm, get on all these little rides that we do. We call them our little grain carts right here. Um, we start setting up for it right now. We just planted the corn maze last week. The pumpkins were – we planted 40 acres of pumpkins last week, and so we prepare – right when October's done, we keep on preparing for it the, the whole next year. So we already have ideas. What are we going to do? And so we do 
40 activities. Um, we do 40? 40 activities. We got the ball like what zone. kinds of things? Oh, man. That's like a little basketball toss game. And then we have uh, slides, which the slides are made out of uh, the liners, our potato liners, you know, truck bed liners. You roll down. Everything that we do <laughs> is kind of has like a little farm theme around it. Yeah. Um, we have the cornhole games, and then we do potato cannons, which are awesome. They put huge dents in these big, you know, we have, we put a bunch of wrecked cars out there and they'll, they'll have a, you know, those cars just become dented. Those things shoot like a hundred miles an hour, which are awesome. And so it's not like the old days where you had a little you know, hairspray can and, yeah. and just launch it out. Shh, don't tell the kids yeah. how to do that. Yeah. And so it's, and then we do the hay rides and now we do a little private campfire pits out in the corn maze. So we plant the corn right now is most people are like, hey, this is way too late to plant corn. We plant the corn maze right now to keep it green for, yeah. for the you know for the season, and then we do um, sunflowers too, right? And right before uh, September, we call it our sunflower festival, and so we do you pick sunflowers, and then it goes right into the fall season. So, you guys so do fun. a lot of stuff here, mm-hmm. and then fireworks, fireworks every Saturday night during the fall festival. Really, this year is what we're going to do. It. We decided. That's cool. You know, they didn't have fireworks shows last, you know, last summer during yeah. the 4th of July. And so um, we, we decided, hey, there wasn't any fireworks. Let's, the pyrotechnician that was here, was, he's like, you guys want to do something for Saturday in the fall? And we tried it one night, and then we said, let's just do it every Saturday night. It was so much fun. <laughs> so we're going to do that as well. And so it's, it's a, it, we have, the food is a whole other animal, too, during the fall season. We do pumpkin donuts, apple mm. cider donuts, mm. all the good stuff. Making me hungry for yeah. treats now. <laughs> when does this fall festival start? I think I need to already start arranging my schedule to drive out here from the west side of the 70 state. 70 days, just about. We'll be in middle September. Middle September. We'll go. So we'll do two weekends in the, the last two weekends of September. And then this year there's five weekends in October. That last weekend in October is like October 31st. And it'll be, that's, I think that's a Saturday. And then November 1st is a Sunday or Monday. And so that'll be the last day. And so... It's a lot of fun. So if I just want to you, want you to be able to get a plug in for this, if people want more info, where do they go? Website, Facebook page? What's, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, but it's middletonsfallfestival.com. Okay. And then they can go right on there, find the tickets, and uh, reserve your tickets. You can get them online. It's a lot easier to do it online because there are lines. Mm. If you come in the middle of October, it's a little bit busier. If the yeah. The end of October or the beginning of October is always the best time to come because it's not as crazy. Um, but we have a lot of fun out here. And then we grow like 20 different varieties of pumpkins as well. Um, and so there's... Who knew that there were that many kinds of pumpkins yeah. that people could want in the fall time? We'll have whatever size and color of pumpkin we'll probably have. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And we also, obviously we had to do COVID restrictions. There's yeah. hand sanitization stations everywhere and... All the we had to spray down everything, yeah, and so yeah. there's a lot of things that we had to overcome with that. But it it went well. Obviously, people were itching to get out and do something, yeah. and we're it's mainly I'd say 98 percent of it is outdoors, and so um, it's you can breathe fresh air too. So it was nice. Yeah, with COVID, that was. Well, wasn't there some back and forth with what the state was going to allow with agritourism in yeah. the fall for all the different like you picks and pumpkin patches and things like that? Yeah, it was it was wild for especially here in Washington State is that he was uh, Governor Inslee decided to mm-hmm. not allow anything to happen. Just pretty much grab your pumpkin and leave uh, mm-hmm. is what he came out with. That was pretty much 
the gist of it. And then six days before the fall festival opened, our fall festival opened, he changed his mind and said, hey, as long as you're doing, you know, you're, it's an outside event, you have your masks on, everything's yeah. sanitized, then you can, you know, we're not going to restrict anything. And so as long as you abide by some of the, you know, some of the cleanliness rules, right, I guess. for sure. And so um, we set it up. Either way, we were just kind of like, hey, we're just going to set it up. We'll see what he says. He might change his mind, and he did. And uh, then everybody found out because obviously that the news got on, got a hold of it, and so everybody's yeah. like, okay, we're going to go out to Middleton's now. And so it's, that's awesome. It turned out to be awesome, and the, obviously the community responded. We had people coming from Seattle actually in Spokane, yeah. and so it well, was and awesome. It, it makes sense if there's a way to stay safe. Yeah. During the pandemic, and that's the things that people were doing, outdoor activities mm -hmm. in a way that they can socially distance, keep their mask on, keep clean, yep. be close and enclosed spaces with other people. That's, I mean, people didn't have a lot of other options at that point. Yeah. So I they were it. looking for things to do. You yep. know, those kinds of events outside were a big deal yeah. for people who had been kind of cooped up for months. Mm -hmm. It was, it was... It was really awesome to see. We had some moms come up to us that were literally in tears. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, what's going on? And, you know, I'm thinking maybe their kid got hurt and she's just coming up to me in tears and she's just saying thank you because I haven't been able to do anything with my kids the whole entire year. Mm. And it's just something that, you know, you wouldn't realize really like, because, you know, in, in farming, we're just out here going to town, doing our work and, you know, just putting our nose to the grindstone and, you know, going about our business, trying to get, you know, providing food for everybody. And sometimes it's an afterthought that people are really cooped up inside. They really can't do anything. And mm -hmm. then we put on this event and that was just, and that happened multiple times throughout the, the festival. It was just like, you really don't uh, know until, you know, someone comes up to you and yeah. says, you know, thank you. And that's, that's what we do it for is just seeing yeah. people come out here, smile, have a good time. And, you know, it was just, it was touching to see that happen. When you do have the advantage of being close to a significant population center in the Tri-Cities. Yeah. Right? Versus, you know, up in the middle of wherever, North Central, yeah. you know, you aren't going to do something in, in, like, Waterville that I drove through yesterday. Yeah. I love that town, but there aren't a lot of people there to come yeah. to a festival, even though I guess, especially last year, they may have driven from <laughs> far and wide yeah. to get there. At the same time, being this close to the city, I would guess, has its challenges, too. Do you feel pressure from the city getting closer all the time? Because, and you said quite a bit earlier, it's been growing like crazy. Yeah, it's it's definitely wild. So if, on the fall festival side of it, it's awesome for us because yeah. we're getting more people to come, to come out to the farm and, and we're and super close so people don't have to make the drive. But at the same time, you can see right behind us and our back door there's there's buildings going up there's mm -hmm. industrial buildings taking out they're taking out farms they're putting you know processing plants there or what have you and so it's it's a little bit scary because you can see it you can literally see it from our doorstep that people are getting closer and closer and closer um and it's sad to see some of the farmland go away it's exciting yeah. to see the town grow but at the same time you know that there's farms being ripped out because yeah. you know they're paying high dollar prices just to to move and get out get out of the big city and come to this city, which yeah. is only getting bigger as well. And so it's kind of a catch twenty two on that on that side yeah. of it. And we deal with that in Western Washington, and now you're dealing with it here too, where mm -hmm. it probably affects land prices. I would imagine because something that's going to be developed for housing or developed for industrial property is probably worth a lot more per acre than you a know, lot more 
a wheat field, an asparagus field, even more of a cash crop field like strawberries or something yeah. like that, how do you compete, you know, if you need land? It's it's really hard nowadays, you know, nowadays because the prices is the industrial properties and some of these, you know, there's even plants coming from California that are coming over here and the, the processing facilities. Mm. They're willing to pay whatever it costs because over there to them, especially even on the West side or even, let's talk about California prices. Yeah. We're, you know, a fourth, a quarter of what they'll, you know, they're paying over there. So yeah. they're like, Oh, even at a high dollar price, it's, it's, you know, this it's, you know, half of what they pay over there. So it's, it's a lot cheaper to come over here, start their processing facility or start a house yeah. because they don't, they don't have to pay a million dollars in Seattle. If you <laughs> pay $500,000 for a place over here, you can get a really, really nice home. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. That's what's that, happening. And so in Seattle, you get a shack for that price <laughs> yeah. anymore these days. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yep. Even in my little town, way up, uh, you know, 100 miles north of Seattle, mm-hmm. the, you know, small houses, starter houses, you know, just in, you know, an average neighborhood going for prices that just make my jaw drop. Yes. And yeah, it's, it, it's hard to see, I think, from the outside, the effect that that ends up having on farming. But you're saying that does affect the farming community. Yeah. That kind of develop. And an- It'd be better if, you know, the people that are moving over here are more supportive of, of the people that, mm. you know, have, have been here. I mean, we've been taking care of this land for a long time. And all of these farmers, you know, we treat. And so there's some misconception on, on farming practices. People think, oh, it's big farming. No, a lot of farms out here, especially in the Columbia Basin or even in Washington State, are still small farms. There's yeah. still family farms, mom and pop shops and their sons are taking over or their, you know, their, their kids are starting to get involved, but, um, that people think that there's, it's big farming only out here and it's, it's not, it's just, well, it's, you know. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what farming looks like. And so they see, right. I mean, farms are bigger now than they were 50 years ago. Right. So they see that and they think, Oh, that must be huge when all relative, right. Yeah. In a matter of scale compared to Midwest or, you know, mm-hmm. other places. Yeah, it is a lot smaller here. Yeah. A lot smaller on the west side, too, than mm-hmm. here on the east side, even. So that that's kind of like the good thing about the fall festival, too, is that people get out here, and when they're out here during our fall festival, they get to see, you know, we put our name on the fall festival, Middleton's Fall Festival, but they really get to see that we're walking around. Um, I spend half the time, I think, walking around just talking to people because yeah. they're just, some people are just, they just don't know that, yeah, they're, there's people out here that still farm and our names attached to it. And a lot of people's names are attached to their farms. And, you know, this is, this is our livelihood, you know, and we take it seriously. So it's still a family farm. Yep. How many acres do you guys farm all told between everything? Roughly? Um, with owned and leased ground, we'd, we're probably at like 3,000 acres yeah. around that, depending on the yeah. year. Yeah, see, for somebody, even for me, from farming on the west side, mm-hmm. it's like, that sounds huge. Yeah. But then talking to you, it's still just your family farming that. Yep. Plus so, your crews. Yep. Six or seven full-time employees. Um, now, during asparagus season and the fall festival, asparagus season, we have about 150 employees. In the mm-hmm. fall the fall season, I think we're going to have, this season, we're probably going to have 200 employees. A lot of them are teenagers or um, you know, their first time job working and, uh, but it it works out great. So, um, but for the most part of it, there's, there's only seven or eight of us guys out here and, uh, working out here on the farm. And so it's it's definitely a small operation to handle a little, you know, all 
it's a big, big, uh, I guess it's a big thing to handle with all the acres that we have and the, how diversified we are, yeah. but we all get it done at the end of the day. Well, the key, it sounds like just listening to the diversity that you guys have, the different crops. I mean, from the outside, you're like, well, that's kind of a interesting mix of things, but for you, it sounds like it's all about timing for the most part. Yeah. Like you have a main crop for this part of the year, this part of the year. And mm-hmm. So that keeps you from, you know, if they all, were all at the same time, you could never do all of those things. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Definitely diversifying the way that we have it is, you know, perfectly um, set up where it's not, if there would be no way we could do all of them at the same time, but the way that it's laid out, it definitely gives us some breathing room to get ready for, um, for the next thing. But it also keeps us on our toes because some of it, you know, like I, we were saying that it overlaps, hay overlaps, and then we're still doing hay and and harvesting some other different crops during corn and everything during our fall season. So that, that you know, the fall season is even more wild because we have this, you know, what started out is, you know, a thousand or 2000 people coming. Yeah. And now we're having more, a couple thousand people on a weekend. And now it's kind of grown into this huge monster. It's like, okay, we got <laughs> the fall festival and now we got corn harvest and hay harvest trying to finish everything up. It's a little wild during that time, but it also has its season. So we, we know it's only going to last us. We got a little two, three week window of super, super busyness. And uh, how are we going to get it all done? Yeah. But it always, it always gets, it always gets done. I remind my dad, it always gets done, dad. <laughs> Don't worry. You get a little bit stressed out. Yeah. It's just, it's just, there's so many things juggling in the air. And so, um, and there's so many hours in a day that where you can get it all done. And so um, there's some sleepless nights during the, during that time. But it, yeah. it all does get done. Yeah, that's my dad's line. Never enough hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Only so many hours in a day. I got to keep going. Yep. What's that like working with family? It's it's fun, but it's also that it brings its challenges yeah. too. And so um, we all know each other's corks and we yeah. all know each other's buttons, which ones to push and which ones not to push. Yeah. And so um, it's it's a, it's a blessing in disguise because mm. I get to work with my dad. I get to work with my brother's. Um, my wife is heavily involved into it. My wife, Angie, and then, um, our other, you know, the other wives that are part of it too. And so, um, it's definitely, especially during the fall season, it's my brothers and our wives and my dad and my mom, we're all, we're all doing it, you know, putting our part into it. And, um, sometimes I take it for advantage. You know, some people don't see their parents, you know, especially with the pandemic, some people's like, hey, I haven't seen my parents in a year and a half. I'm like, what? I see my parents almost every other day, if not every day. And so um, I get to work along, you know, know, they're some of my greatest friends. But you said you're starting to teach your dad some new tricks too. Yeah. There's there's some things about the fall festival that he's like, why would you even do that? You know, (laughs) this type of thing. He's like, well, let's just try it, you know? Yeah. You don't don't know if it's going to work or not unless you try it. So... We did the pumpkins and did some, you know, different ideas with yeah. these, these little games. And my dad's like, really? And then you'll, you'll see these kids come out and they, you know, they just think it's a, a blast to do it. And it's just little certain things. The The biggest thing that we get a kick out of is that we do, it's called the corn pit or corn box. And we just take grain corn and we throw it in a box at the fall festival. Mm. And my dad, I'm like, well, why would, my dad's like, why would someone play in that? And so I'm like, dad, it's kind of like a sand, bo- sand pit, you know, a sandbox. Huh. He's like, I don't know if that's going to work. And 
there's probably 150 kids in that thing just throwing <laughs> corn at each other and, you know, making making a mess. And it was just a lot of fun. And my dad's like, oh, I guess that did work. <laughs> I, I Just talking about working with family, I know that can be one of the toughest things is that transition from one generation to the next. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just like one day where your dad hands you the keys. Right. You're working side by side with him for years and years and years. Well, I mean, on some farming dads i don't know about your dad mm -hmm. can never totally retire yeah they don't want to but then it's like you're the new generation you want to try different things do things maybe a different way than your dad did yep and that can be a sticking point what's the what's the trick to i guess you you proved him wrong so yeah. maybe that's the trick yeah i don't know if i would say that all out to him <laughs> no but there's some certain things that uh we're in that transition stage right now my dad's you know he's 70 years old, yeah, and so he's getting ready to, we call him semi-retired, but he's yeah. here most of the time during the farming season. He's here most of the time, and so... Um, well, se semi-retired is still probably 40, 50 hours a week for oh, a farmer. Uh, at least. <laughs> Versus full-time, yeah. which is like 80 to 100. Yeah. <laughs> and he's here, he would say he's here more than that, and so... Um, there's that transition stage, and so we're, we're working through that right now, and so um, it's definitely... A, you know, give and take type thing. And yeah. so it's like, there's, it's really just being clear and concise and, yeah. you know, making those, you know, meetings that we always, we, we're, we're having weekly meetings right now. So yeah. we're always on Mondays at 1 PM, you'll see us in the office as a yeah. family. Uh, my brothers and my, my mom and dad, we're going over our, you know, what, what's going on this week, what we have. And so that way we're always on the same page. And so I think that's healthy for, for many farms to do, even though they're like, you know, like this week, there's like, oh, there's not that much to do. But then when you get down to it and we start talking like, oh, yeah, we forgot about this, this and this, yeah. which in, you know, in the back of a farmer's mind, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I knew all that stuff. But then when you put it on paper, it's like, OK, there's, you know, it's always better to have those weekly meetings or, you yeah. know, biweekly meetings just to make sure everybody's on the same page. And I think that that makes everything a little bit more smoother in the end, too. Communication. Yep. Yeah. Communication is definitely key because if you don't, if you don't voice out your expectations of each other, then how are you going to ever know what that? You can't just pretend that that person's going to know what you're thinking. Yeah. And so, um, and that goes both ways. My dad and I and all of us, we we definitely communicate, especially on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, especially if you're working hand in hand. So yeah, it it, it works really well doing that. What about your kids? You have kids? I do have kids. My little William just turned uh, one years old yesterday. Awesome! I had a little birthday party for him, and so that's what ha that's what's great about having a fall festival. We took the barrel train ride. Yeah, I have all these little toys and activities to do, and I'm just like, oh, we can just add it to the birthday party. <laughs> Brought the little tail handler and put the pinata on it. Nice. And, so, and then I have a little girl, Hannah. She's three years old. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So are your kids going to farm? What do you think? Are you going to encourage them to get into it? I'm not going to force them to it, but yeah. I'm definitely going to encourage it. I mean, this, you know, I, I lived on the West side for a little bit, going to college over there at a, at Northwest. And it was, it definitely gives you an eye opener to come back to the farm. And you're sometimes people are like, Hey, I want to get out of the farm and go try something different and live somewhere else. And, you know, actually doing that and then coming back, it's like, you miss it. You miss yeah. You miss the hay seasons, you miss growing, you know, different crops and trying different things. And 
every single day is a different day out here. You're not doing the same repetitive thing and everything, there's a different problem to arise and you have to solve it. And so, um, even having my little son, he's riding, he's been riding on the tractor with me a couple of times during the, the spring season and hay, hay season, having him jump up on my legs and putting his hands on the wheel at one year old is just like, okay, I can see something with this. Yeah. And so you kind of hope that, you know, that's what happens with, with, you know, your son. And so, um, obviously I'm going to have some more kids cause I need more help around here. <laughs> that's what farmers always say. <laughs> have so, more kids, uh, more help you can get. So. That's why my dad had six of us, I think, <laughs> to help out around here. He definitely had his hand line changers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Changing irrigation. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. You said you went to school over in western Washington. Mm-hmm. What were you studying, and what was your plan at that point? Were you thinking you were going to farm? The funny thing is, when I got out of high school, I thought I was going to go into youth ministry mm. because... You're hanging out with youth and you're, you know, making a difference in kids' lives and, yeah. you know, doing all that. And you're like, that that was my dream. I'm like, hey, I'm going to help out with youth. That sounds like the funnest job ever. And then actually doing it, I did it while I was at Northwest uh, University and I was going to go and get my degree in ministry my first year. Mm-hmm. And then I did it. I worked at a church and I'm like, well, this is fun, but there's a lot of different aspects to it besides this, you know, yeah. besides just hanging out it's with you. It's fun all the time, yeah. And so there's a lot of different things. And then I took an intro to business class, and I'm like, man, this is what I'm designed to do. Mm. This is, you know, I would need to go back to the farm or, you know, go back into agriculture. That's kind of my passion, and I, I miss the atmosphere and being outside. And and then we started doing the fall festival, too, and I'm just like, wait, I can kind of – do all of this, we can make an, a difference in our community. We can make a difference in the youth and teaching people, you know, having field trips come out here and teaching kids, you know, this is how corn's grown or this is how the life cycle of a pumpkin's grown. And so it's kind of come full circle now, coming back to the farm and, yeah. you know, we're doing this fall festival and doing some different other community events throughout the year. And it's just like there, you can do both of it. Yeah. And, and, and you have business education too, to yeah. have some idea of how to, organize things and operate things correctly so you don't go broke or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely taking those finances classes and those marketing classes where uh, my dad didn't really push me to get an, an ag degree. And so yeah. he's like, you know, you can get it in business and that yeah. there's definitely a business aspect of it that some, you know, he's like, you can be a great farmer, but if you don't know business and, you know, the finance side of it, then you can fail real quick. And so yeah. um, kind of getting some of those fundamentals down and, you know, learned and then apply it to the farming practices really helped as yeah. well. That's where I'm at right now because part of me is like I miss, you know, having my hands in the dirt and farming a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm still around it. I live right in the middle of it. Yep. But I don't do it myself. And there's still part of me. You know how it is. Yep. It's in your blood. Yep. But that's the part that I'm missing. And mm-hmm. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I wish I would have gotten a business degree or even a minor in business, ha- have some basics, you know, because I just feel like I have a lot of gaps in my knowledge to do that part of it. Mm-hmm. And especially in the current economic and, you know, political, regulatory, climate, everything, yep. you have to have that part together to make it work. Like you said, even if you're a great farm, good at growing the plants, if you have no sense of how to put the books together, you're yep. going to be able to survive very long. Yep. Which is a shame, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. So as a as a farmer and someone with business education, what would you say are the key things to keep in mind for people in farming as far as watching what their business is doing? Well, it's making sure you have a marketable product that you can yeah. sell it. 
And so, um, and then finances, making sure it all pens out yeah. because if watch those numbers, yeah, if those numbers don't, if they fluctuate, yeah, we always, especially in our in the office, the the gal that's working in there, and my mom that's in there, and my brother Mark that's in there, they're they're making sure that our numbers are pretty conservative. Uh, whatever it may be, and I'm like, hey, aren't we going to make more money than that? And we're like, well, yeah, we are, but we would need to be as, as conservative as possible. Worst case scenario, this is much as much money we're going to make, but we're still going to make a little bit, you know, of profit. And so, it's always making sure that the bottom line is still being met. Yeah. And uh, watching your costs then, because all yeah. your costs come before. And holy the smokes, is the cost so high this year? Yeah, you can, you know, even everything's up. Anywhere and everywhere. You, sometimes we have to go to Boise, you know, five hours away to go get a part. And wow. PVC's up in prices. Lumber's up. Everything's in, up. So seed costs, fertilizer, it seems like every, you know, everything's going up. And so you got to make sure that everything's still penciling out at the end. And so because um, the seed company is not going to tell you whether or not their prices are going up. If you don't, if yeah. you just say, hey, I need that seed or I need that fertilizer and you don't shop around, it can really bite you in the butt. Yeah. Well, and that's what a lot of people do. You get in the thick of it, the heat of it. You don't necessarily have a plan. I need this. I need that. I'm just going to go get it. Keep going, Mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully we make enough money to cover all the bills. You're kind of shooting in the dark then. You may come out roses or you may find at the end of it that you're not going to make it. Yep. Scary stuff though. And there's, stuff. there's some things that we did this year that we we changed, we tweaked it, and uh, we were going to grow sweet corn this year. Every year we usually grow sweet corn. This year we decided not to grow sweet corn. We grew field corn, and mm. just because there was the price of the field corn went up, and we could bale the corn stalks and sell the corn stalk bales too, so mm. that we can. There's a little bit of money to be made on everything, and so yeah. um, there's some things that just pan, pan out better than others, and so that was like a two week decision. We changed it. The whole entire year we were planning for sweet corn. And then yeah. it was about two weeks before, you know, planting. And we were like, hey, we should plant something else. And so that's what we did just because it didn't pencil out the way that we were thinking. Yeah, that's what Brady Karstetter up in Quincy said on the podcast several episodes back, too, mm-hmm. that he did this year with those prices changing. and Just change the plan. You may have all this yep. <laughs> plan made, but you got to be able to adjust on the fly whether it's the weather whether it's markets whether it's changing rules Mm -hmm. you know covid pandemic craziness yeah that's i think just speaking on the covid pandemic thing is that i think a lot of us farmers were prepared for it better than maybe other industries Mm. is because we're always changing in our in our in what we do because that we're always dependent on weather different other outcomes in it every single year where you think it's going to plan out perfectly it never does it's always something that's changing i think that's we handled covid pretty well it's like farmers are used to getting their crops rained on on alfalfa or something it's like okay well we got to change we got to change it up a little bit we're always we're always facing some type of adversity and so we got to change it and you know keep on moving forward there's nothing you can't just sit around and pout about it you just keep on going and and adjusting well, good luck with the rest of hay season Yeah, and prep for the fall festival. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Middleton, is it Middleton or Middleton's? Middleton's Fall Festival dot com. Dot com, yep. Okay, Middleton's Fall Festival dot com, middle of September. Uh, I'll see if I can arrange my schedule to be out here at some point during that because I would like to see that. Yep. That Thir- sounds really, really cool. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday will be open. 
Well, thank you for doing it thank all. Thank you for coming out. Growing amazing, delicious food. Yeah. Asparagus and strawberries and all kinds of other stuff. And then, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of cows and other animals that appreciate eating your alfalfa. Yeah. I wouldn't call that a delicious food for <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> and then also being, you know, educating and opening you up your place to the public i think that's oh, yeah. really cool and for a lot of people that's kind of scary mm -hmm. but for you guys to have the guts to do that and be really plugged in with your community I, th I think that's awesome so it's fun good luck with all of it and thanks for for chatting with us on the podcast yeah. thank you this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food 